And open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 9. We are um, continuing our series, Christianity 101. And what we have been doing is we're answering this question. Are all religions fundamentally the same? And we would say yes, except for what they teach about heaven, hell, sin, salvation, the nature of man, the nature of God. How many of you think that they're different? They are different. So that's basically our outline. Uh, We started with sin and salvation, and we looked at heaven last week. This morning, we're going to look at what the Bible says about hell. Now, Jesus Christ spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And he actually spoke about hell quite a bit. And so the picture that has been painted of Christianity, um, there's really a glaring omission of it in most of uh, modern uh, teaching. So let's start this in Hebrews chapter 9 and look at verse 24. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now, let's just stop right there. I didn't show this passage last week. But do you remember last week when we looked at heaven, what was the predominant characteristic of heaven? God is there. And look at this verse, verse 24 again. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands. So he's not in an earthly temple. He went to heaven. For Christ has not entered into holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. Don't you love those last two words? For us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then he must often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now... Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus only had to die once? That was his power. Then look at what it says. So he has entered in at the end of verse 26. But now, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this... The judgment. So Christ was offered what for Christ, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Lord, let's or folks, let's pray. Lord, please help me this morning. You can tell my mind is um, on a million things. Lord, help me this morning to communicate this message clearly. Lord, it is such an important message. So, Father, I pray that we will have your mind on this subject, this sobering subject. In Jesus' name, amen. Christianity 101, this subject of hell. Why does hell exist? Why would God have created a place called hell? Well, let's look at Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25:41. So this passage is the judgment of the nations. Jesus Christ has returned. 
Look at verse 31, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them, the one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. So when Jesus Christ returns, there's going to be a judgment of the nations. And this is after the rapture, where He has taken all the believers out of the world. This is after the tribulation, where He has judged the earth. And now He is coming and He's judging those nations for how they treated Israel during the tribulation period. And But He gives us an understanding of what hell is supposed to be. Um, look with me at verse 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Why was hell created? Prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. The intention was for man to never sin. That was God's choice. It was man's sin to choice. It was man's choice to sin. God never wanted us to sin and to go through the torment of hell. Listen to what God said. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want people to go to hell. God wants them to repent. And this discussion, it's such an important thing for us to understand because we have a very soft Christianity that is being propagated today where people like Joel Osteen and others, they just don't want to deal with the subject of hell because it's too ugly. But you can't understand salvation unless you understand what you're saved from. And the simple fact is that we deserve hell. You see, this is hell is the negative side of the gospel. Hell is the negative side of the gospel. Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are saved from death. And what is that death? What does the Bible say about it? Who goes to hell? Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving. You see that? The unbelieving. Who is hell for? People that refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him for their salvation. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. And sometimes we can think of a list like this, fearful and unbelieving, that doesn't impact us very much, but abominable and murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, that all sounds really bad until you get to all liars. That's where the rubber meets the road, because I think all of us would admit that some, at some point we've lied. And look at what it says. Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The Bible says, and as, is it appoint, and as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. It's very clear that because sin has entered into the world, all of us will eventually die unless the Lord returns before that point. And after we die, there is a judgment. And if you've not believed, if you are one of these, the unbelieving, if you've not believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and accepted the free gift of eternal life that He has offered you, well, then that judgment will be the great white throne judgment, and the penalty for that is death and hell. So what was the purpose of hell? The purpose of hell was for the devil and his angels. But because man sinned and sin entered into the world, now that is the abiding place of all those who receive not Jesus Christ. What about love? You know, the logic goes like this. Love never hurts anyone. 
God is love. Therefore, God would never hurt anyone, especially by sending them to hell. That's the way that the thinking goes. You know, I, I don't believe a loving God would ever condemn someone to hell. Have you ever heard somebody say that? That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God of the Bible. See, it gives us a couple of problems. People are seduced by the illusion of sentimental love. Sentimental love is based on feelings, not on the kind of love presented in the Bible. People who won't let others get hurt or suffer as a consequence of their actions are actually harming them by removing responsibility from them. How many of you have seen children that parents... I've heard parents say this, I love them too much to discipline them. You ever heard somebody say something like that? That's not true love. That's, that's self-love. You want to do what feels good for you, but your failure to restrain your children will do nothing but bring them harm and agony. Maybe end up in prison, but certainly, certainly bring harm into their life. Genuine love, genuine love allows consequences. And God loves us. God loves us. And He will allow us to receive the consequences of our actions because He does love us. Freedom. This is the part of the conversation that I think gets left out too often. And that is God did not create us as robots. He created us to have options. He created us with freedom. And God takes our freedom seriously. God created, hand, God created humanity with the freedom to choose. To choose what? Whatever they want to choose. We are free moral agents. We have the ability to choose right. We have the ability to choose wrong. We have the ability to choose God. We have the ability to choose evil. We have the ability to choose heaven. And we have the ability to choose hell. God has given us freedom to do that. And it's interesting, what people, when people cry out against God because there is a hell, it's very interesting. They want choice, but they don't want the consequences of those choices. That's not reality. Inherent in that freedom is the possibility of judgment and death. You can choose God. You can follow Him. You can accept His free gift of eternal life. Or you can reject Him. You can, you can say, well, I'm trusting my religion. I'm trusting my own way. I have my own way to guide the, God. The Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Bible says there's none under the name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way that any of us can have access to God. Among the freedoms granted us is the freedom to reject God. Hell is the choice of those who reject God. This is the thing that I think, because our evangelism has become so watered down, salvation is so much more than do you want to be a friend of God. Salvation is this, it's recognizing that we are sinners and we deserve an eternal Christless hell because of our sin. We deserve that, but He has given us the choice of eternal life if we'll just believe in who Jesus Christ is 
and repent of our sin, acknowledge that we are sinners and can't get to heaven any way but through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hell, then, is the natural consequence of freedom and love, and it's a fulfillment of justice. You know, people's hearts cry out for justice. Our hearts, they cry out for justice. At the last judgment, every person will be resurrected and judged individually. And there will be an accounting of every detail of each of our lives, every thought, every motive, every intention. What did we do with what we knew? The Bible says He's going to judge on those, on those issues. And He says He's going to judge us by the Word of God. You say, but I don't know the Word of God. That's your problem. He gave it to you. He gave it to you. He's told you the truth. And it's so important that we recognize that hell is the choice of those that reject God. It is their choice. And judgment is coming. Retributive justice, what is that? God is just. And when we violate His holiness and His righteousness, He must judge that sin. You know, our hearts do cry out for justice. When there's an unjust verdict, we all, it, you, you can hear people, they, they cry out for justice in those situations. I've been reading about the founding of our country and the Revolutionary War and just how people were crying out for freedom. It was better to die free than to live as a slave. And these people were, were willing to pledge their lives their fortunes and their sacred honor because to live free was more important than to live as a slave. It's so interesting when you think of what people went through so that they could be free. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross so that you and I can be free because we are slaves to sin, the Bible says. We are under the, de the debt, the weight, the penalty of that sin. When those courts would fine people in those early days and they would cry out for justice because there was taxation without representation. They would cry for justice. This isn't right. And so our country came to be. Do you know what those people also understood? They also understood that justice was based on the Word of God and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And our God is holy. Our God is just. And when we cry out for justice, we need to understand what we're asking for. At the judgment, the purpose of it is to vindicate the king's righteousness. To vindicate the king's righteousness. I heard someone say one time, if there is a Jesus Christ when I die, I'm going to spit in his face. Can I tell you something? No, he's not. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father both of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Even those who have refused to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, when they stand before Him at the great white throne judgment, they're going to bow, but it's going to be too late. Because the judgment reflects God's justice. He is right. He is holy. He is worthy of honor. He is worthy of being worshipped. Worship is the involuntary response to greatness. Like we said last week, when we see Jesus, we're not going to be jumping up and down and running and jumping into His arms. We're going to fall down on our faces before Him and worship Him because He is worthy. He's worthy. And the judgment reflects God's justice.
to vindicate the king's righteousness, and then to defend the moral order of his kingdom. Do you know the reason that I think people cringe at the concept of hell is because we don't understand how bad sin is, how awful sin is. This year, I've have dealt with people who have had sin in their lives. And I, I've said this so often to Laura and to the kids, I hate sin. I hate it because it destroys people's lives. It's been said that sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll take you to places that you never imagined you'd be. It'll destroy you. And here's the thing. We recognize that. We look at the sin of the world and the, the things that are going on in the world. And we look at those things and we rightly judge them as sin. But then we look at the sin that's in our own lives and say, well, I'm not any worse than anyone else. And that's why we don't understand the purpose of hell. If you only sinned one time, that is enough to earn a Christless eternity in hell forever. That's why the grace of God is so wonderful. Because let me tell you something. We all sin so much. We are so full of evil and wickedness. Our flesh is so evil. That's why we need a Savior. And I've got to say, if you're here today and you're flippant about your sin, you think that your salvation is simply acknowledging some truths about who Jesus Christ is. Yeah, I believe He's God. Yeah, I believe He rose from the dead. But if you've never acknowledged that you are a sinner and recognize that conviction of God on your sinfulness, then you'd better check out whether or not you're saved. If you think because you took communion as a child, or because you were baptized, or because you were raised in a Christian home, or because your parents have brought you to an independent Baptist church, if you think that's enough to take you to heaven, you are wrong, and you have violated the justice and the holiness of God. All of us have to bow before Him now, well, we can do it willingly or later when we'll have no choice. You say, I don't know if I love a God like that. I don't know if I can love a God like that. You need to understand, why would a God like that love you? Why would He love me? Because not only is He just, He is also full of mercy and grace and love. And the way that you can genuinely understand what true love is is to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we love because He first loved us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then He spread out His arms and died for you and for me. He loves us so much. Have you personally repented of your sin, acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord, and asked Him to be your Savior? If you have never done that, if there's not a point in time when you receive Jesus Christ, I'm not saying you have to know the exact date or the exact hour. That's not what I'm saying. But if there's not a point in time, I'm not talking about when you were taking communion or when you were at some kind of a religious ceremony. I mean a point in time where you acknowledged your sinfulness and you received His free gift of eternal life, where you were lost and now you're saved, where you were born again and became a child of God. If you have not, then you need to understand that Jesus Christ is going to defend the moral order of His kingdom. And that moral order of His kingdom is this. No sin. And the only way you can have no sin is to have a righteousness that's not your own. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ.
justice, to highlight the purpose of the judgment, to highlight the preciousness of the servant who died to make us just. Can you imagine Jesus Christ, God Himself, He took on Him the form of a servant and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Have you ever been humiliated? It's an awful feeling, isn't it? You've been humiliated? I have. It's a horrible feeling. Now imagine if you've never sinned and you're completely righteous and completely holy and they take you before everyone and they strip you naked and hang you on a cross and spit at you and beat on you and whip you and pound nails into your flesh. He was beaten so badly, the Bible says, he wasn't recognizable as a man. He looked like a piece of meat hanging there. After His resurrection, when they saw Him, they didn't recognize Him. The Bible says that He gave His cheeks to the smiters, to the scoffers. They, They took His beard and ripped it off. His face was gone. That's what they did to Jesus, the precious Son of God. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have children? Would you raise your hands? What would you do, dads? What would you do if someone started doing that to your son, to your daughter? Think about it for a minute. I've got, I've got anger and tears welling up in me. What would you do? Now think about the judgment and wrath of Almighty God. The basis of the judgment is what have you done with my son? See, folks, this is real. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived a sinless life. He was abused and died on that cross for me and for you. And He's made that free offer of eternal life to all of us. But at the judgment, at the judgment, He is going to highlight the preciousness of the servant who died to make us just. It is the response of positive holiness, reasserting the moral order of the world against all that is evil. Look what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. This is Jesus. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Folks, today is the acceptable year of the Lord. Accept Him. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, today is the day of repentance. Today is the day, and look, and the day of the vengeance of our God. The day of the vengeance of our God. Look at Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with what? 
everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them. Look at that believe. Because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is the message of the gospel. That He's coming back. Look at the book of Jude. Jude, look at verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. My goodness. I'm telling you, when Jesus Christ comes... When we stand before Him, I promise you, I promise you, you're going to wish you had received Him. You're going to wish you had believed in Him. And then we as believers, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to wish we had done more for Him. All religions lead to God. Have you ever heard someone say that? It's true. All religions indeed lead to God as judge. See, there's only only one way to Him as Savior. But all the rest of the religions, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to salvation, to life everlasting. The Bible says in John 5, 22 and 23, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. I'm just telling you, all of this flippant discussion about Jesus Christ and all of the comedians now that think it's okay to mock Christianity and to mock Jesus Christ, I pray that they will get saved. I pray that they'll come to see the error of their ways because that's the Savior they're going to stand before. That's the Savior that they're going to bow before in judgment. In judgment. What is hell like? Matthew 25, 46 says this, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. How many of you recognize that eternal life is a good thing? Right? It's, it's wonderful because we're going to live in the presence of Almighty God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're going to be there. We're going to be admiring and worshiping and observing all the glory of the Godhead in bodies that have no sin. It's... The, All that is good and wonderful is what heaven is. Heaven and hell are corresponding opposites. However good heaven is, that's how bad hell is. You know, we're going to look at hell here in a second and the the picture of it. But let me tell you something. How many of you understand that words can't express the glory of heaven? I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor hath entered into the hearts of man all that God hath prepared for those that love Him. 
Have you ever seen a beautiful painting? I have. You go into a, a gallery and these, these huge paintings that are so beautifully done and you just stand there in awe at its beauty. Or you drive up into the mountains and when I stood at the foot of the Alps and just the, looking at the Eiger and the, the North Face and all of that and just seeing that it, it, it's the indescribable beauty. Photographs can't, can't even come close to it. When you think of the movies that we can go to now and the beautiful scenes that are put before us in HD video. With all of that, we still can't even scratch the surface of how wonderful heaven's going to be. The worst horror movie you've ever seen can't describe the awfulness of hell. As wonderful as heaven is, that's how bad hell is. Why? Because heaven is wonderful because God's glory and peace is there. Hell is awful because God's glory and peace are not there. What is hell like? Jesus describes it for us. Look with me in Luke chapter 16. And what's amazing about this, I just read this in a commentary this week, yesterday or the day before. This is the first place in the Bible where we have it genuinely described. So before Jesus did this, people didn't really have an understanding of what it would be. So look at Luke chapter 16. This is a phenomenal view. And so one thing that I want to say about this before we go on, some people say that this is just a parable. Some people will call it the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. The, the Bible doesn't call it a parable. It says there was a rich man. And you'll notice there, people in parables never have names in the Bible. Jesus names specific people, specific conversations. This is not a parable. It's very interesting. God knew that people would say that hell judgment and a description of hell is just a parable. It's just a metaphor. It's a spiritual story. In Ezekiel chapter 20, look at what happened. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. Then said I, ah, Lord God, they say of me, doth, not, doth he not speak in parables? When God's talking about the destruction of Israel and the everlasting fire of hell, Ezekiel said, they're going to call it a parable when Jesus Christ describes the awfulness of hell in specific detail. People call it a parable. Isn't our Bible an amazing book? God knows what's in the hearts of men. I want you to see some things about this. Let's start reading in verse 19. The first two words, there was. Do you see that? There was. So we're in Luke 16. Look at verse 19. There was a certain rich man, which was, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with crumbs, with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Doesn't that sound like a horrible existence? And it came to pass that the beggar died. And was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son... Remember 
that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, there between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. Do you see that word fixed? So that they would not pass from hence to you. So they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Now look at this. I mean, just look up here at me for just a second. You know what people say today? If God would, would just speak to me, I would believe. Christopher Hitchens said that. He believes now. He died two years ago. If he'd just speak to me, if he'd just speak to me. Now look. Verse 30 again. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I want you to see from the Scriptures what he's going through. Will you put your marker there in Luke 16? Because we're going to come back. But go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and look at verse 38. Mark 9, verse 38. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Now, let me, let me just tell you something right now. There are evangelical teachers, James McDonald, others, who teach that they don't know, but Billy Graham would say, I don't know that hell has fire. I don't know what they're reading. All right? So, if you've come from a church or you've been under a teacher that doesn't believe that hell has fire, I'm just going to believe Jesus. And look at, look at what it says. Verse 43, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. So you've got to understand, the man's in hell and hell is in the man. Worms crawling through their bodies and just a torment. Verse 45, And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire 
that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Go back to Luke chapter 16. I want you to notice some things. First of all, I want you to notice that hell is a place of consciousness. Hell is a place of consciousness. There are some details in, in this Luke chapter 16 that I want you to see and I want you to be aware of. What is hell really like? Well, the text says in verse, if you look at verse 23, and in hell, he lift up his eyes. Do you see that? He lift up his eyes. He could see. He's there. He's aware of what's going on. He can see. And then it says, being in torments, he could feel. When Jacob got saved here recently, part of the conversation that led to that was about Stephen Hawking. And if you've seen any images of Stephen Hawking, he has Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And he's shriveled up. He can't speak. He has to speak through a talk box. And the pain is horrible. And the thing about that is, the worst pain he feels right now would be by far the best day of his eternity. You see, he's going to enter that destroyed body into hell where he'll be tormented day and night forever. It's a horrible place. They can see. They can feel. And seeth Abraham and Lazarus, he could recognize. He could recognize. It's full consciousness, completely aware of your surroundings, able to recognize people. And this is really important. Do you know what this means? You know, your soul is you. Your soul is you. So here he has gone, he's buried, his soul goes to hell, and yet he is recognizable as the rich man. And he can recognize Lazarus. It's recognizable. He could recognize. He cried and said so he could speak. Can you imagine what it sounds like? The awful screams and torment and agony and abuse. People cursing God and cursing everyone around them. You know, there are people that think, yeah, I'm going to go to hell. I'll party with my friends. It is not going to be a party, but you'll be with your friends. He said, Abraham, have mercy. Do you know what people can do in hell? He could plead. You can beg for mercy. You can beg and you can beg and you can cry out and you can agonize, but it will never, ever, ever end. He said, I am tormented in this flame. He could suffer. And Abraham said to him, he could hear. You're going to wish it would stop, but it won't. He could hear. And then he said, son, remember 
He had memory. If you're here today and you are stubborn, stubbornly refusing to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your answer or as your Savior, when you are in hell, you're going to remember this moment. And you're going to remember every opportunity you've had to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to remember it. And it's going to play in your head over and 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 over again. Hell is an awful place. He said, send to my brethren. He could reflect. He had the ability to consider his life and to consider the people that he loved. And here's what he knew. He knew that he had five brothers. Can you imagine that father? His father had raised six infidels who rejected the word of God and rejected the righteousness of God. And he knew that they were headed to him. You know what that tells us? Lest they also come. He could look ahead. You see, he was in hell and he still had a concept of time. And do you know what? This is... This was written 2,000 years ago. He's still there. And he knows that it'll never change. The human condition is not diminished in hell. It is intensified. Hell is a place of both self-awareness and other awareness. You know that you're there and you're aware of the other people that are there suffering with you. Look with me at Revelation chapter 20. I want you to see something. Before Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, paradise and hell were visible to each other. When Jesus rose from the dead, He led captivity captive. He went and took all those people from paradise into heaven. When you get to the book of 2 Corinthians and you get to Revelation, paradise was taken to heaven. It's there now. Hell's still where it was. Revelation chapter 20. Look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. Look at Small and great. Don't think that the poor get to go to heaven because they're poor. Don't think that the rich go to hell because they're rich. Don't think that people who are talented suffer and people that have less opportunity are blessed. It has nothing to do with that. Children, as soon as you're able to understand that you're a sinner, you need to receive Christ. The dead, small and great. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand, look it, before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, because we're so comfortable and because we get so wrapped up in our own lives, we forget to look 
at the eternal state of those people around us. And I have to say, I, I don't want to. I don't want to beat you up. But we we can't even get invitations for the Easter service handed out. And I think it's because we don't really believe in hell. How many of you have loved ones that aren't saved? Would you raise your hands? We need to tell them. We need to pray for them. How many of you have children? You have children? Have you spoken to your children? Have you had conversations with them about it? Do you know for sure? You know, they're raised in church and they hear the gospel constantly. But salvation is more than an intellectual comprehension. It is a choice of the will to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Have they done that? Have you? If you died today, are you sure that you are going to heaven? Because if you're not, you will surely go to hell. There's no joy in this message. The only joy is that our names can be written in the book of life. The sadness is, I think most of the world at this point is going to hell. We have to do our part. Amen? Amen. We have to do our part. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.